We don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. Ooh. Do you know who said that? Not Orson Welles. Walt Disney. Oh. But it was a fun quote to begin with because we thought in this episode, uh, in this strange year of 2020, we would just have some fun and maybe some important moments too to talk about our favorite movies of the past year. I'm Taylor. I'm Brian. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Hey, Taylor, how you doing? Not bad, Brian. How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, hey, so uh, we had some people that liked our last couple episodes. Oh, that's good. And oh, the, the coolest was Todd Bolsinger, who wrote Canoeing the Mountains, the Lewis and Clark book that we referenced. Oh, no way. Uh, he, he listened to the episode, and he liked it wow. and retweeted it. Oh, thank and God. So, that was going to be my next yeah, question. That's like, what, how did he respond to it? That's what really matters, you know, is the retweet. Right. Um, but no, he, he, he said he liked it. But what was really cool, um, he also listened to the uh, to the favorite books episode and said, hey, I got some new books to read now. So Oh, wow. I heard from several people that have picked up books. A friend of mine sent me a, a text message picture that had a couple books that he had ordered. So uh, hopefully everybody was able to catch the last couple episodes and be more flexible or to buy more books. Hey, you know, <laughs> buying books and being flexible is important. I think it was Erasmus who said, uh, with the money I receive, I buy books. And if I have any left over, then I buy food. <laughs> I feel that. Erasmus yes. is my spirit animal. <laughs> yes. Uh, how's uh, your wife feel about that? Uh, you know, we don't talk about it very often. <laughs> Forgiveness is easier than permission, I've heard. Uh-huh, yeah, Not in marriage, though, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, we're, we're glad to have everybody listening today. And we just thought it would be fun to talk about movies. Not only is it fun, but there is some important stuff with filmmaking and the storytelling part of that yep. that can be important for us. And in this strange year of 2020 where not very many movies were released, I've had to ask for your forgiveness because I am not a great film buff. So I had to dip back two months into 2019 or so. Back to November, huh? Yeah. Do I have your permission? Is that okay? You know what? This is You, you kind of run the podcast. I just work the, <laughs> the tech stuff. You can do whatever you want. This is, yeah, because like the Oscar season isn't, is it calendar year or not? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's a calendar year. Oh well, that example didn't work then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it only it only works because they have you have to have X number of showings to be considered. Okay. So, uh, so for instance, there are many films that have like a couple of showings in December, like maybe a week run, but then they're not fully released until February or March. Okay. Um, so it's it's a game. It's definitely a game mm-hmm. that people play trying to get everything in for for the Oscars, but. You know, the Oscars have always done a good job of saying, here's the actual best film of the year, and mm-hmm. it's never political, and it's always about the crap. I'm done. I'm sorry. I was trying to say it with a straight face without being sarcastic. <laughs> it did not work. I apologize. <laughs> All right. So we're going we're gonna to just uh, each of us cover our top five favorite films from the last year. Yeah, starting at five, going up to number one. Okay. And you got to forgive me because a couple of mine are from, you know, like I said, 2019. But Taylor here, he is a film buff. He's taught film um, in a high school setting 
Have you taught at other places? Uh, I did one semester at college, actually, where, okay. I, where my alma mater, where I taught a couple of courses before moving here. Um, so that's that so was that, kind of my beginning. That qualifies you. You're a pro. I'm a I'm an expert. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, okay. Why don't you start? Number five for you. Num- number five for me. Be- before we jump into it, there are two things that I look for whenever, oh, yeah. I, whenever yeah, yeah. I watch a film. No, you're good. Uh, whenever I watch a film. Uh, number one is craft. I want to see how well the film is made. Because there are some films that are just expertly made, and you ask questions like, wow, how do they do that? Not films about crafts? Not films about <laughs> crafts, but the craft of the film. Okay. Um, camera placement, editing, uh, stylistic choices when it comes to like, costume and lighting and the score and uh, the directing. Like that, that is the craft, right? These, these are, these, these, this is the vocation. They have, this, these are people's jobs. So how well are they actually doing their job? And the second part is what it makes me feel. Because mm-hmm. there are some films that are not well crafted, but I feel what the story is and, I, and I'm connecting to it on an emotional level. Probably the most recent one um, is like the Christmas Chronicles part two. My kids love that. And because my kids have such an infatuation with it, it makes me feel something. Yeah. Um, even though it's not, if you will, the greatest craft that I've seen. Right. So craft and emotion, what it makes me feel. And if I believe and am invested in the story, I want to care about the characters ultimately. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about this because I would guess that um, we each have a level of what we can tolerate from the craft level. Yes. Mine is probably lower than yours because I see fewer things than you see. But there's still like a level of there's some movies I just can't stomach them because the quality is so poor. Right. But beyond that, the one thing that I just care about is the story. I'm just yeah. like story, story, story. If, if it has a great story or an important story. Yeah then that's what matters most to me. And if the craft is like off the charts, incredible, right? but I think the story stinks, then right. I don't like the movie. No, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's why it's why a lot of Christian films really struggle to resonate with me because the the emotion may be there, but the actual story arc in, 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 in terms of storytelling and craft may very well be absent. So like uh, recent, the most recent one, my wife loves the film. I can only imagine. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Backtrack. Um, I still believe the Jeremy Camp film. Okay. Um, and I watched it and I went, why aren't they using more visual motifs? They've already referenced these types of things. Why aren't they doing this? I'm still crying because of the, the narrative and the story because it's impacting me. But the craft just isn't that great. Mm-hmm. And, and the goal is let's, let's be good on both craft and emotion. Yeah. Yeah. We, maybe we can talk about, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more next episode. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where we're going to have a similar topic, uh, sort of similar. We're talking about sort some similar. shows yeah. that have been important to us or not so important, but meaningful or, yep. or helpful or good or entertaining. So my number five favorite film of the year is Netflix's Enola Holmes. I thoroughly enjoyed this film because it's really important. As I said earlier, I have five little girls, and this is the type of film that I want them to watch. Here is Enola Holmes, the sibling of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. She's very smart. She's very athletic. She's very intuitive, but she's also very, very human. And that's um, Bobby Millie Brown uh, from Stranger Things. She just does a phenomenal job. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the character arcs and the developments. I thought it was actually... Um, the action scenes were just enough, um, and the music mm-hmm. was surprisingly engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very skeptical of this film for one reason. Um, she talks to the camera, 
And if it's not yeah. Ferris Bueller, That's, you it, don't talk to the camera. Yeah, that was interesting. It, and, but it worked. It didn't take me away from it. And to break that fourth wall in the film world is really dangerous because a film has its own set of rules mm-hmm. that it has to follow. And the minute you address the audience, you've introduced a new rule that could very well break the film. And I, I was thoroughly surprised um, at how much I enjoyed the film. Um, and, and my wife and I just loved it. And we can't wait to show it to our kids when they're at the appropriate age. Yeah, we, we watched it with our kids last weekend. Our kids are a little older than yours. Yep. And the greatest compliment I can give it is my 16-year-old daughter falls asleep watching anything. <laughs> really? Almost any other than like a short little funny show. Yep. But she stayed awake the whole time. Oh, wow. And even set up and a couple times was like, ooh, ah, you know, yeah. and uh, was engaged. And so we, we enjoyed it. That was very, very well done. I'm going to join you in adding that as my number five. Nice. So we, we really enjoyed it too. Awesome. And I like that it gives a little different spin of something we all know. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. I like movies that do that. Did you, there was actually um, a lawsuit that came from this. Because, oh, really? Yeah. The Arthur Conan Doyle estate sued Netflix because um, they, they said, oh, Sherlock Holmes is emotional. And even though a lot of Sherlock Holmes material is uh, public domain because of the, the copyright time frame and everything, um, they said Sherlock Holmes doesn't show emotion until the last 10 actual stories, um, and we still have copyright on that. Oh, my. Yeah, so they were suing for emotion? It was a very strange... <laughs> it, it ended up falling through and it didn't happen, but it was just... The world we live in, huh? I'm going to sue you because your character shows emotion... But we own the rights to the character's last 10 narratives, and he doesn't show emotion until the last 10. You're not really portraying the character. That, that's a bizarre thing for me. So those people probably aren't working really hard to uh, improve the reputations of attorneys and elitists. Not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. So what's your number four? Your number four. Uh, my number four is 1917. And again, it was released at the end of last year. Yeah. But since I didn't watch it till 2020, because I'm a little bit behind on fashion and movies. Right, you're cheating, uh, but <laughs> I'm going to use that. So it was incredible. It was, if you have not seen it, it's really kind of a, a work of art because yeah. it's shot in only six shots. Uh, but it feels like it's only shot in one shot. Right. So long swaths of the movie are with the... Ki- you know, really complicated with the camera yep. moving and they have to be in exact timing with the yep. camera and these really long sequences. I read that there's one sequence where it was eight minutes long and they refilmed it like 56 times. Yeah, yeah. Just, they built the oh, entire brutal. set. Oof. Like all the locations were actually designed by the cinematographer and the director. Yeah. So if they're like, oh, well, we're going to have to cut here when this thing passes in front. That means all the dialogue, all the background action, all the camera movement, all of the microphones, all of the vehicles, everything yeah. has to hit its mark. That's that's terrifying. Yeah. But there's a also the content of it is World War One yeah. and 1917 and it's some soldiers that are trying to run, uh, deliver an important message. And one of the things that was compelling to me was it deals with a subject that few people have filmed. And that's the same metaphor I use in my book of Dancing in No Man's Land about kind of bunker and trench warfare and what that was like. And they depict how ugly and awful it really was. And so they did a good job of that. And it just it's one that has you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah. And even though it's rated R, it's it's a war R. 
Yeah. You know, there, there's not there's not nudity or crazy sexual content or anything like that. It's language and violence ultimately. Yeah. yeah. And not many films deal with World War One, which is why I was immediately interested. Yeah. In it. Yep. Yeah. We don't know a whole lot about. There's not. A, nope. Yeah. Just like you said. So, uh, how about you? What's uh, number four? So number four for me, um, I have to preface um, my 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 pick with this statement. Um, I hate movie musicals mainly because most movie musicals um, are adaptations of musicals from theater. And that mm -hmm. transition from theater to film is oftentimes really, 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 yep. really hard. Yeah. Um, it's why Disney animated musicals work so well, because it's an animated film. You can do whatever you want in an animated film. Have a character sing? Yeah. Why not? Have a raccoon and a hummingbird be friends who talk to a magical tree? Of course you can do that. Yeah. But normal people don't break out singing songs. So to convince me that people are singing and dancing in unison, that's really hard for me to kind mm -hmm. of buy into, which is why Hamilton, my number four pick, is really important. Hamilton, I do not like rap, I'm not a big R&B fan, and yet Hamilton is a phenomenal production. The way they filmed it, they put it together, they didn't try to adapt it into an actual film, they they filmed the Broadway performance mm -hmm. with some editing and language so that it could be available for a wider audience. And yet, it's so good. It, it is a phenomenal um, presentation. Um, my least favorite character, ironically, was Hamilton. I thought he was rather kind of boring and bland, but Burr uh, and Jefferson and Lafayette, these characters were just overwhelming. And the ladies uh, playing the, other, the female leads broke my heart every time that they were on. Their portrayal was just exceptional and phenomenal. So I thoroughly enjoyed Hamilton because they left it as the Broadway production and just filmed it. And it was very powerful and the emotion and the rawness was there. And still the craft was phenomenal. It was so good. I think I've said phenomenal three times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's so good. And I, I now understand why everyone who has seen the live performance of Hamilton just goes on about it. It is it is exceptional. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure you were going to let me uh, count this one, but I it, it was my number one. And so we'll just, since you're talking about it, we'll talk about it now. But uh, I loved it. Uh, one of the reasons I know I loved it is because I've watched it a number of times now. Yeah. And we've listened to the soundtrack when we travel. That's often one that our family will just start playing and we'll sing along. So a couple weeks ago we had a road trip and we listened to the whole thing. We, the family like divvied up characters. I played the part of George Washington, uh, very poorly actually. I forgot how many, <laughs> how many lines he had, but, um, I, I do. George Washington is my favorite character in it because yeah. there's so many important things historically, uh, mostly, uh, that he, he was willing to walk away from power and I, the, I love there's a line where King George says, oh, I, did, I was not aware that was something a person could do to walk yes. away from power. And yeah. that was so important for our country uh, that he would set this example of walking away from power to let the democracy live on. Yeah. I thought was really important. Just the historical parts of it were so good. And I love what they were able to do culturally and to incorporate yeah. something so different. And... and we have people reading biographies and understanding some stuff historically that uh, would not have before. And right. so it just reached this huge audience. And so I, I think it's just an amazing work. I love it. My, my favorite character is actually King George. Mm -hmm. uh, played oh, by, yeah. Played by Jonathan Groff. Yes. Um, for two reasons. Number one, the spitting. Yes. That he does. He spits a lot. He does because he actually does that in real life. He, oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a running joke that if you go to a Jonathan Groff performance, you're going to get spit on ah. because he does do the spittle. Uh -huh. So he just amped it up 
and made it part of the kind of craziness that you have. Kind of the King George um, crazy. Yeah, okay. but all of his music um, is uh, Beatles inspired, where all the American music is more um, R&B and rap inspired. Uh-huh. So there's a there's an audio dichotomy between the two of them, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, and 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 wonderful. He's also the voice of Olaf in Frozen. Yes. Yes. I was like, what? Yes. My kids realized that and told me. Yeah. Yep. yep there you go. Yeah. So. And one thing that we loved about it was I was skeptical about what it would be like to watch it because we had seen it live when it came to Tulsa. Oh, wow. We okay. went to the PAC and watched it. But One of the lucky few then. Well, we were, we were seated quite a ways back. <laughs> but that's what made the beauty of watching it yeah. on our TV was the close-up zoom shots that we could not see yeah. when we were in the audience and to see some of the emotion uh, my favorite line in the whole thing is just the one word forgiveness yeah and i mean it makes me very emotional that whole scene yeah. leading up to it but to to see lynn manuel miranda's face mm. and uh when that, when that whole scene is happening up close made a difference and so yep. uh, even if you've seen it live you should still watch the Disney is it on Disney? It's yeah, Disney, Disney Plus, yeah. Disney Plus uh, version of it as well. So there yeah. you go, awesome. Okay, uh, what do we got next? Number three, uh, for me, my number three is Color Out of Space. Um, I'm one of those weird Christians who really enjoys a good horror film. Um, not like ah, oh, this is a crazy <laughs> horror film. No, no, no. Like a well thought out, enjoyable character study. That, that really gets into human psychosis, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. Um, that being said, I'm also a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. He di- he dug into the horror of the unknown. And, it, and Lovecraft's bent was this whole concept of there are things that the human mind cannot comprehend. And there's a religious idea behind that. As Christians, we're like, yes, there are certain things that we will not be able to understand about God. We, we're not gonna fully understand it. Lovecraft just goes to the complete extreme of, oh, and it's going to melt your mind, um, which we're not, which we don't adhere to. But no, my number three film is uh, Color Out of Space. Um, it's a surprisingly good Nicolas Cage film where he's not always yelling or whispering. Wait, wait, wait. say that again. It's a surprisingly good <laughs> Nicolas Cage film where he's not always yelling or whispering. Okay. But the whole concept is that there is this color that comes from outer space and it changes the environment at the most molecular level and it begins to alter people's minds and perceptions and they're they do go crazy and they do go insane and it's told from the perspective of an unreliable narrator um so it deals with the idea of a cosmic horror this idea of the unknown because there's never any explanation given we have no idea what's happening Hmm. we have no idea where it's coming from there's no backstory it is all mysterious it is unknowable and anybody who experiences the color out of space is forever changed and altered, and there's no explanation why. Um, as Lovecraft was very fond of saving, uh, fear is the most primal human um, idea, and fear of the unknown is the most primal of all fears. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that at all. Um, he's clearly uh, not a Christian, but the ideas of family and of control um, are beautifully explored in this film. And, and if you can stomach... Some some unsettling horror parts to it. I think you'll actually really benefit from this film um, if you give it a chance. I know Nicolas Cage being on the cover may bother you, but <laughs> it, it, is, it is a surprisingly well-done film. All right. So number uh, three for you? Is Little Women. Oh, well, yeah. wait. And I'm cheating again. Yeah, again, you're cheating. But here's here's the truth. Like, 
I can't tell you how many movies I watch five minutes and turn it off. Same with TV shows. I just get really bored of most of them. Yeah, yeah. And first so, first couple minutes, if I'm not in, yeah, I'm out. yeah. And and I'm I'm a fidgety person, and so I'll just go find something to do. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm a I'm a tough audience, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I loved loved the movie. We watched it again. It's one that we watched several times. My wife and I watched it in the theater. We watched it at home. I loved for my uh, girls to be able to watch it. Yep. But uh, there's an imagination that it just captures the beauty of imagination mm-hmm. and dreaming about the future, creating things yourself. But the acting in it what just blew me away. Right. The same actresses could look like they're 24 or look like they're 14. It's so good. And I, I just kept going back and forth. And I remember my 10-year-old daughter was like, wait. Which one, what's happening? Is that she was confused because they were, you know, this right. big gap yeah. in years. If you're not paying years. attention to the color palette, you won't know which, which time it is. Yeah. The past is golden, the present is cold and, yeah. and blue. Yeah. It's really smart. Yeah. The the mother is strong and yep. kind, and there's the scene where they help the family over Christmas. Yes. Oh. oh that's so good. It's, it's one of the best Christian films. That I don't know if they realize that this is a Christian film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And and there's a healthy marriage that yes. I love. That um, yeah, there's just about it's a gazillion so things that are good with it. It, I love it, it didn't come out in 2020, but I completely agree with you. I know. But yeah. fact, it's actually in my top five favorite films of all time. Oh, nice. It, it shares a number four spot with Pride and Prejudice slash Little Women because they both deal with a lot of the same concepts, and in my opinion, they're they're two sides of the same coin. Okay. But Little Women is is astounding. Okay. Yeah. Florence What's... Florence Pugh, who plays the uh, oh, what was her name? Oh uh, dear. Yep. Yep. Yes, I yep. know who she plays. She was exceptional. Yeah. And I told yeah. that I told my wife whenever we were watching, I'm like, she's gonna be nominated for best actress or supporting actress, and she was. Yes. Then she actually lost to the mother. Laura Dern in another movie. Oh, okay. I good yeah. good Mar- marriage story, I believe. Good. Yeah, all all kinds of good stuff. Yep, yep. Okay, what's next up for you? So number two for me is Tenet. I mm-hmm. love Christopher Nolan films. They are smart. They are engaging. They have fantastic characters, and the action sequences are astounding. Somebody once said that Christopher Nolan, uh, who also directed Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. yeah. Inception, Interstellar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Prestige, one of my favorites, yeah. um, he, t- he he is a smart person's Michael Bay. And what that means is he is commercially successful. All, all my Michael Bay films are block are, are blockbuster successful. But his are so thought-provoking mm-hmm. and interesting and engaging. Tenet is a film you have to watch three times. One, it blows you away. You're just the spectacle and the breakneck speed at which it's happening is astounding. The second time you watch it, you're really focusing on the words. Sometimes it's hard to hear just because of how the audio is mixed in theaters and whatnot. But the third time is when the characters really shine. Some people complain that his characters aren't fully developed. And I'm like, no, no, they're so developed that you miss it. And I love this movie um, because it really deals with the concept of consequences of our actions rippling throughout, impacting people that we're never going to encounter, mm-hmm. um, and the concept of um, a brotherhood and watching each other's back. Mm. Um, also, uh, the mother in the film, who does an, uh, the lady, she does an astounding job um, focusing on what would you do for your children. Mm. And the answer is take an inverted bullet that's 
reversed entropy and go back in time and try to save them. That's mm. that. That's how you would do it. So if you haven't seen Tenet, I encourage you to watch it three times. Okay. Well, I I really want to see it. And I was just looking the other day. I think it comes out on streaming here. Yes, it does. Very soon. December the 15th. So I'm, I'm not excited. excited. I'm excited. I'm to, so excited. <laughs> excited to see it. All right. Good timing of this then. Okay. So your number, this is your number two, because your number one was Hamilton. It was. So So this uh, is your number two film. Yes. And again, cheating once again, because I'm not a great movie buff. Uh, sorry. I forgot. Uh, Harriet. The story of Harriet Tubman. Yes. Uh, really, really liked it. Uh, there, I think the story is so important. Yeah for people to know and just the story kind of trumped everything for me of because I think her life is so important and what she accomplished was so important and the courage that she had, which she molded that raw courage into leadership and to actually lead people to freedom and this whole movement in which she continually risked her life, uh, sacrificed all of the comfort that she could have uh, had just to risk her life for the freedom of other people and recognizing that they were made in the image of God. Uh, just thought that, thought it was so important. There was one problematic part with the movie that was debated quite a bit. Which part was that? Um, and there was, uh, not the main antagonist, but there, the slaveholder who is the main antagonist hires a black man to be kind of his bounty hunter. Mm. And uh, historically, that did happen every once in a while. But but not that common. It was not common, and it felt very odd for them to do that in the movie. And it actually ruined the movie for a lot of people Mm. because they felt like uh, it took the animosity off of the slaveholder sometimes and placed it on um, this black man. Yeah. they felt like wasn't fair or right. And I would agree that was a poor choice mm. that actually kind of ruined the movie for some people. And I just kind of watched that conversation from the outside and just kind of listened to it. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, to me, it did not take away from the overall importance of the movie. And really the, the main thing you walk away with was Harriet Tubman was an incredible person yeah. and a real life story and should be a hero of every American, I think. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's the danger of taking actual historical events and figures and putting them into a two-hour narrative. Yeah. How, how do you do that without taking artistic liberties? And the answer yeah. is, you can't. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to tell a story. There has yeah. to be character arcs and changes, yeah. so you are going to take liberties. It was one of the reasons that I really liked uh, Lincoln yes. by, by Spielberg. Yeah. But there are liberties that are taken sure. within the story because it's not real. Film is inherently a lie. This isn't real. We're pretending. We are. They are acting. Yeah, this yeah. isn't real. Yeah. This is pretend. These are professional pretenders, right? <laughs> like, like if, if if you consider, I think Christian Bale said that once. They, we are paying. We are paying money to see people pretend. But there's there's really nothing wrong with that. Like mm-hmm. some people, are, oh, that's awful. No, not not really. Mm-hmm. But we want a story. We we want yeah. the emotional connection. We want yeah. to see people at the top of their game. So I, I agree with you on Harriet. I, I finally did get to watch it, and I was blown away by the performances um, and was a little bothered by the liberties that they took because I, th- I thought it diluted the story a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, so your number one film was Hamilton. Yes. My number one film is Mank. 
Okay. That's a weird title for a film. Mm-hmm. Um, Mank is the story of uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, who helped write the script for Orson Welles' masterpiece, Citizen Kane, mm. uh, starring uh, Gary Oldman and Amanda Siegfried. Uh, and music was done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and it was directed by David Fincher. This is a film that's done in black and white. And anytime you watch a black and white film, you focus on the performances much more than you do the scenery. Okay. That's why I love old black and white films because I get to focus on the characters and not what they're wearing or the color of the wall or the chairs. Um, This is a story that deals with, um, I think, Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay. You could do great things and then you're going to die. You could be uh, a person who, in in the story, you find out that Mank... Uh, the one of the the writer of Citizen Kane or partial writer, um, he ended up helping save a village during World War II and getting all of them over legally away from the Germans. Um, but the man is a jerk and a drunk and is awful to his wife and family. And yet he produces one of the most amazing scripts of all time. So it deals with this concept of genius and trauma, um, pride and hubris. Also, knowing where you belong, he has a drunken stupor where he just lashes out at his at executives, and they remind him, you're the monkey who dances to the music, not the man who cranks the machine. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. is a, it is a gut-wrenching portrayal of Hollywood and of creativity. Um, and it's, it's also a hard film to watch because you're watching a man get worse, but he's also getting better. It's this weird kind of, if you will, in, 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 in human nature, in our fallen state, he is succeeding exceptionally well in Hollywood. You know, the pinnacle of morality. <laughs> yeah. Right? He, he, is, he is succeeding and just being amazing, and inside he's just breaking apart. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful portrayal of the, the dangers of celebrity and ultimately the danger of hubris. How important do you think you are? And what is your value apart from your intrinsic value in Christ. Hmm. And because none of them are believers, none of them are Christians, the most honest real person in the entire film is the actress, Amanda Siegfried's character. She's honest and earnest and true and loving and understanding. And even though she does have her moments, nobody's really good in the film. Like, nobody's good. They're all selfish, fallen people trying to make the best of things. So it's, it's very hmm. Ecclesiastes. This is life under the sun. This is how it is. Eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. And I, I love that. I love this portrayal of life apart from Christ. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we don't have anything to really echo back other than, do we have anything to echo back? I do, actually. Oh, yes. I have a very strong philosophy when it comes to film. Okay. Um. If you're not watching film trying to get the message that it's telling you, you're not really watching the film. There's no such thing as mindless entertainment. To entertain means to consider something. So like whenever we entertain people at our houses, we invite them in and we have conversation and we give them our attention. No matter what we watch, no matter what we read, no matter what we give our attention to, it's never mindless. Every film, every song, every TV show is trying to convince us of a truth. Mank does a phenomenal job of trying to convince me of the meaninglessness of life and the struggle to have meaning and value and then just to die. But that's not true apart from, you know, that, that, that isn't true for us who are in Christ. So everything is trying to convince us of a truth. The question is, are we being discerning enough to see what the lessons are they're trying to convince us of? And are we discerning it enough to realize 
ooh, this is a false lesson. Right. Yep. Okay. There I love go. it. Like, yep. I love it. Hey, if you have thoughts or ideas or want to share your favorite movies with us, you can do that at brianjenningsblog.com. And uh, just hit the Echo tab and you will find that. You can contact us. We love to hear from you. Also, we love for you to subscribe to the podcast. That makes it easier for others to find us. Please share this with your friends so others can listen. We have some new listeners uh, just even this past week who shared that with us. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you for being listeners. And we hope to see you soon. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise.